Please open your Bible, if you have one, to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, it is uh, beautiful and a fitting that there's snow this morning. Reminded me of Isaiah 118. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Um, last Sunday, last Friday, and now this morning... We've been considering the death, burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In particular, considering how Christ's death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection purchases, inaugurates, brings in the new covenant. Uh, There is no more important issue for you to settle than what you make of our Lord's death on the cross. Um, It is the center point of human history. It is the most important facts to get straight. Um, Last Sunday, we considered how the old covenant had no power to enable its participants to persevere, to continue. And the entire generation of those who left Egypt perished in the wilderness. This morning, I'd like to begin by reading the first 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10 um, and consider the significance, the weight, the glory of Christ's death. Let's begin by reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year, every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. O Lord, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting From that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these things, 
there no longer is any offering for sin. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might understand the significance, the meaning of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might benefit thereby. Lord God, give us clarity, conviction, and faith as we look at this glorious reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Briefly this morning, I know 18 verses is a lot to cover, and I'm just going to try to cover the mountaintops. I think Dave probably took three or four months going through this passage, and I'm going to try it in 25 minutes. But I, I want to encourage you to settle in your mind the significance of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of interpretations of it. For some, it's just a tragic Um, event. For others, it's a picture of love and sacrifice. And I want to settle for you that at its heart and center, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the inaugurating sacrifice of the new covenant. It is the means by which we can be forgiven. It is the plan of God, not an accident. And it is on that basis and that basis alone that we can have any hope to stand before God. We don't live in a culture with a sacrificial system like the Israelites did. The author of Hebrews is writing to a largely Hebrew church. And there's a temptation on their part to return back to the temple worship. We can see that by reading through the book. And so he's going to contrast Christ's new covenant sacrifice with the repeated sacrifices of the Mosaic law. God set up the Mosaic Law and its sacrifices to anticipate, to prepare us, to help us understand and make sense of Christ's death on the cross. So I'd like to look at this just in three points. I'll try to move quickly. First, Christ's sacrifice is a fulfilling sacrifice, a fulfilling sacrifice. And we see that clearly in the first 10 verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. And that's your first plank. Mosaic sacrifices were only a shadow. They were, they were to give us categories. And these are important categories because what we learn coming right out of Genesis chapter 3 is sin and rebellion demands death. The man and the woman in the garden were told on the day they eat of the fruit of the tree, they would die. But they don't die. But some animal does die. The Lord God kills and provides clothing for the man and the woman. And right there in Genesis chapter 3, we, we learn that sin demands death. It's the right punishment. It's a fitting punishment. And then instituted the Mosaic Law, we realize and we learn all of the guilt of our sin for all the sacrifices that are required. What we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter really is, is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, of Passover, we, we heard the choir saying, behold, the Lamb of God. That's taking the language of the Mosaic sacrificial system and applying it to Jesus through the lips of John the Baptist. And so it's in those categories that we're to understand it. So the Mosaic law is valuable. It's good. It gives us these categories. But the Mosaic law and its sacrifices were not the reality. They were, in point of fact, ineffective. And they were endless, In case someone was wondering, maybe these mosaic sacrifices were the real deal, then why do they keep happening over and over? By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, they can't make people perfect. 
The author of Hebrews is pointing out that if you're committed to some other form of atonement, you're going to keep needing sacrifices. You're going to keep needing to deal with sin. Mosaic sacrifices were only a shadow. They were ineffective and they were endless. And really, they, they only serve as a reminder of the need to deal with sin. And in that sense, that's an important reminder. We would do well to be reminded that our sin needs to be dealt with. It will be dealt with. Every one of us has rebelled against God in his heart. Every one of us um, comes into this world sinful and throughout our life committing evil deeds, racking up a judgment against us. And the law was a shadow and it served as a reminder. These sacrifices, he said in verse 3, are a reminder of sins every year. And every year, Israel, all the able-bodied men, three times a year have to go to Jerusalem And they'd see the bloodshed in the temple. And they'd hear the bleeding of lambs. And they would be reminded. And it's a reminder we need. Sin is ugly and awful. And I I think part of seeing a bloodied, dead carcass of an animal, an altar, reminds us that as much as we try to minimize the significance of our sin, make light of it, it is awful and it requires death but the author of Hebrews says let us not mistake the shadow for the reality mosaic sacrifices were only a shadow they were ineffective and endless and they were only a reminder now in contrast to that this shadow prepares us for that Christ's sacrifice is the reality and we can see it's the reality from a couple of points first of all he was willing to do his father's will Next, each one of these points, I've put the text from the Old Testament that the author of Hebrews is relying upon to make his point. In this first portion of his argument, he's quoting Psalm 40. We see that beginning in verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So the first point to make is this. Christ willingly died to do the Father's will. The cross was the plan. It wasn't an accident or a mistake. And this is important because only a willing sacrifice could take upon himself our guilt. The sheep, the lambs weren't volunteering to be sacrificed. And in one sense, how could you impute your guilt and your sin to them? They, they neither could stand in our place because they were not man, and they were unwilling. Only through Christ's willing death on the cross could God justly impute upon him our sins. But that's the central point of, of the cross. Christ came willingly. He stood in our place. Our sacrifice volunteered to be sacrificed. He, he volunteered. He was willing. That's what makes it not a miscarriage of justice, but the glory of God. The sheep weren't willing. They didn't volunteer. But Christ came to do God's will. He willingly died to do the Father's will. And by God's will, his sacrifice therefore sanctifies us. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
The, the fundamental notion of being sanctified is set apart. We're, we're taken out of this world, we're taken out of our sinfulness, and we're, we're united with Christ, and we are set apart for God with a, with a further implication of holiness, of purification. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice does what the Mosaic Law could not do. Back in verse 1, it could not make perfect those who drew near. Christ's sacrifice sanctifies us in fulfillment of Psalm 40. Second, not only is it a fulfilling sacrifice, fulfilling the reality of the shadow, but it is a finished sacrifice, a finished sacrifice. Verses 11 to 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, the author of Hebrews has already hinted at this line of reasoning. But the contrast here is between an endless system of sacrifices, year after year after year, sin after sin, death after death after death, contrasted with a single sacrifice. And the, 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 the clearest distinction is this. The priests are constantly standing at their work. Christ offered a sacrifice and he sat down. There's no clearer way to indicate you're done than to sit down. And Christ offered himself. Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave and he sat down because it is finished. And here he's relying upon Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And of course, it's Psalm 110, verse 4, that the author of Hebrews has actually been developing for the last three chapters, which is, the Lord has sworn that will not change his mind. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in contrast to this ongoing practice of trying to deal with sin, trying to deal with sin over and over and over and over, we have a once-for-all sacrifice. One sacrifice for all people, one sacrifice for all time. Look back in verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in verse 11, I mean verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is one of the reasons why in our Protestant traditions when people, when people have crosses, they're empty He's done. He's finished. He's not still on the cross. He's not still suffering. It is finished. It was done. He sat down. He is not still paying for our sins. Not only did he sit down, the, the clear contrast, it is finished. He sits waiting. He is awaiting the full reward of his death. Um, he sits waiting for his enemies to be defeated. We see that in verse um, 12. But when Christ had offered a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ is not still suffering. He's not still being offered. 
He has done it once for all, for all time, for all people. It is complete, and now he awaits the defeat of his enemies. We live in this strange time looking back, the Mosaic laws looking forward, anticipating he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And now he has come. And we look back to his death and we look forward to his return, even at the institution of the Lord's Supper. He said, do this as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. At any moment, perhaps today, he will return. And God's offer of amnesty and forgiveness will be withdrawn. But we live in a day of good news, a day of forgiveness, for we have a finished sacrifice. It's it's not a work in progress. There is a full, complete, and finished sacrifice. That, point two here, his sacrifice fully perfects us for all time. This is again in contrast to the sacrifices of the Mosaic law, which in verse one, never make perfect those who draw near. But here we read, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That, that's the difference. And the Mosaic law, you would go and offer your sacrifice, and you could do it in faith and obedience to God. Here we have a sacrifice that fully cleanses that fully forgives, full pardon. All of your sins, not just your past sins, but the ones you have yet to commit because God knows them all, washed away, cleansed. Because on the cross, Jesus voluntarily stood in your place, in my place, and God punished him with the wrath you and I deserve. And he is able, therefore, to perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. And that for all time also solves another problem of the Mosaic Covenant. We saw in chapter 8 last Sunday that the problem with the Mosaic Law is the people started out well. They put the blood on the doorposts and they walked through the Red Sea and they went to Sinai and they affirmed a covenant. And they didn't persist in it. They didn't persevere in it. They grumbled. They complained. We're tired of manna. We want quail. And they were faithless and they perished. This sacrifice not only offers forgiveness today, but forgiveness for all time. It's not a forgiveness that will need to be renewed. You you won't need to come back again next year and get forgiven again and again. Christ's sacrifice was once and for all time, and it offers perfect sinlessness to all of us who would have it. Which brings us point three to a final sacrifice. A final sacrifice. And here he's using the backdrop of Jeremiah 31, which we looked at last week. Verse 15 through 18. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, There is no longer any offering for sin. And my point by final sacrifice is this. The author of Hebrews has stressed the Mosaic law and its sacrifices were shadows. They were looking forward. They're anticipating something fuller coming and something fuller has come. Well, perhaps you may ask, will there be yet an even greater sacrifice sometime in the future, a third wave or phase to God's redemptive plan? And the answer to that is no. Not only is this the the new covenant, 
This is the final covenant of salvation. This is the covenant that will get us home. This is God's promise of good news that will take you all the way to the finish line. Christ's death secures the new covenant. Jesus makes that point clearly in Luke chapter 22, the Last Supper. Likewise, after the cup, and they had eaten, likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus secures on the cross the new covenant. The new covenant is inaugurated and secured by the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God. Once for all, for all time, and it is sufficient. It needs no update. There will be no 2.0. It is complete, full, and final. And this new covenant brings us what we need. We need forgiveness, but we've already seen highlighted with the failure of the Mosaic covenant, we need perseverance. What assurance do you and I have? What, what, what assurance do you have that you'll wake up a Christian tomorrow? What, what assurance do you have you'll still be trusting Christ next week? Because you need to. You, you need to. The, the difference in the covenants is not one requires perseverance and the other doesn't. The difference is God in this covenant writes his law on our hearts and on our minds. We're given a new heart, a renewed mind, new affections. We, we call that the new birth or regeneration superintended by the Holy Spirit being given to us. And on that basis, Christ's grip on me, not my grip on him, do I trust that I'll be a Christian next week, next month, next year, till I die? Because the new covenant brings with it what it requires. Not only does it provide forgiveness in this sacrifice, but perseverance in faith, which provides full and lasting forgiveness. That's your next point, full and lasting forgiveness. And he quotes Jeremiah 31 again. I will put my law in their hearts, write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. An omniscient God can't forget, but he can promise not to remember, not to bring to mind. And no more. For those who are sharing in Christ's sacrifice, there is no more remembering of sin. No more bringing it up against you in God's court of law, no more wrath. There is full and lasting forgiveness. And Christ's death ends, finally, the old covenant. It ends the old covenant. And then the, the, the logic is really simple. Shadows disappear and are unnecessary when the realities they picture are present. Christ's sacrifice fully provides all that is needed. That's, that's the point being made in verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there no longer is any offering for sin. There, there are deficiencies under the Mosaic law. Deficiencies in any other attempt to get right with God. Here, in Christ's sacrifice, in his death, is everything you need. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not just some, not just a lot, every spiritual blessing in Christ, in his death on the cross. Which means finally Christ's sacrifice nullifies all other means of atonement. We considered that three days ago on on Good Friday. 
because this sacrifice was made that removes any and all other attempts to make right with God, any attempts you and I might have to get right with God on a different footing or a different ground insults and denigrates Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. God has sent his son, and if we have the audacity to say, no, thank you, no, thank you, I think I'll do it on my own, we insult, well, we'll just read a little further in Hebrews in a moment. We insult his death. God has done for us what we could not do, what we rejoice in on Easter Sunday, on every Sunday, what we rejoice in in every day of the year is that our sins have been dealt with. They've been washed away. God has promised not to bring them to remembrance because we have a sacrifice, one who stood in our stead, willingly, he volunteered, and it was sufficient, it was enough, and it doesn't need to be repeated. So I just want to close with two implications, two so what's. If this is true, if this is what God has done, how should you and I respond? And we're just going to keep reading to see an invitation and a warning. An invitation and a warning. Keep, keep reading with me. Here's the invitation on how to respond. God would be at peace with you. He would be reconciled with you. He would forgive you and adopt you and bless you. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, there's the grounds. Because we have confidence through his sacrifice, and because even as we draw near to God, there is Christ, the resurrected and living Lord, our great high priest, on our behalf, interceding for us. Because of these two great realities... A full and sufficient sacrifice and a great high priest. Three let us's. Three things we should do. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. How do you share in this sacrifice? How do you benefit from Christ's death? Draw near in faith. Give up any other attempts to get right with God in your own plans, recognize the justice. Recognize that you need a substitute. Your sins require sacrifice. That's probably the stumbling block for most of us today is to think that anything I do could be bad enough that somebody else would need to die for it. The sacrificial system prepares you for that. No, this is how ugly and awful your sin is. Own up to that and draw near in faith. Look to the Lord Jesus in faith. Find your hope, your comfort, your salvation in him, in his death, in his resurrection. That's the first, so what? Let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then, unlike those Israelites who, who left Egypt and then collapsed in unbelief, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. If you showed up this morning as a Christian, hold fast. Don't waver. Don't shrink back in unbelief. For he who promised is faithful. Third, so what? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's one of the marks of those who are trusting in Christ. They draw near, they hold fast, and they gather. And I can't help but noticing on Easter Sunday mornings and Christmas Sundays, we have a few more people here. And I know some of you are visiting from out of town, but others, hear this, hold fast, draw near, keep gathering. Here or any other gospel teaching church, that, that's how we respond to Christ's sacrifice in faith. You draw near in faith, you hold fast in faith, and you gather the other believers, stirring them up to love and good works. Now here's the warning, we'll be done. Because when you hear truth, when you hear good news, Jesus said, to him who has much, much will be required. And the danger would be to hear of this sufficient sacrifice, this final sacrifice, this finished sacrifice, and think, well, that's interesting. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You see, the very point that he made back in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there no longer is any offering for sin, has a double edge to it. If you're not interested in this sacrifice for sin, there is no other sacrifice for sin for you. If you will not turn from your gods, your pleasures, your plans, your self-righteousness, there is no other sacrifice for sin for you. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy in the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. You, you hear these words and you mouth lip service to them, but in your heart you go somewhere else. Three terrible realities. You're trampling underfoot the son of man. Profane the blood of the covenant and outrage the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Consider when you look at the cross just how seriously God takes our sin. And don't imagine for a moment that he who sent his son to die on your behalf, if you consider that a small thing, will deal lightly with you, will let you skirt in under the curtain. There is full sacrifice and forgiveness of sins. There's a finished sacrifice and a final sacrifice. And if you would draw near in faith, you can be cleansed, you can be forgiven, you can have life. But if you're not interested, you want to serve other gods, there is no other sacrifice for sins. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good words, deeds. Please stand as we sing our closing song.